Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Today, we begin our annual church-wide three-week fast. Are you excited? Are you dreading it? Have you decided what you're fasting? Uh, put out sort of a warning order last week to get you ready. Uh, and we covered, I covered in that email, if you didn't get the email, uh, again, request it, we'll, 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 I'll get that to you. Uh, if you maybe just didn't read the email, please read through it. We, I covered in there a lot of the things that I normally cover on the first week of the fast where we talk about fasting in general. And I'm not saying I won't address that during these next three sermons, but probably not much today. I just kind of want to get into the fast for this year. You know, for a few years we assigned, we used this uh, time of fasting, this for, you know, typically around the first three weeks of the year to sort of establish a theme for the year. And I'm not saying that was a bad thing, but generally we were focusing on something that should be a part of our uh, practice, uh, just one portion of the things that we do as a church and as individual believers and believing families. Uh, you know, there are practices, subjects, even doctrines that, that, uh, that we should be doing all the time, and maybe it's difficult, maybe even counterproductive to focus over much on one thing for an entire year. So we kind of shifted that over the last couple of years. We focused on something for the fast, and we try to, in, try to weave that in and just make it a part of our daily practice. Uh, all that to say, I think it's only right that any time we set aside for fasting should focus on prayer. Prayer and fasting go hand in hand. You don't do a fast without focusing on praying about something or praying in a certain way. And as I sought the Lord, I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of deciding what we're going to pray about. And as I was uh, seeking the Lord for a word concerning this year's fast, I kept coming back to the truth that we are a body. This is what I just kept rolling over again and again. Now, we talk about the body of Christ, we talk about the church, we talk about the family of God, and we use these terms interchangeably. As I've mentioned, I've got a friend here, a, a local pastor in town, who's very passionate about the word church. And uh, he, he uh, never says, for instance, if he's going to be in the office or in the church building, he will never say, I'll be at the church. Never even accidentally will say that. Are you, or he'll never tell me, are you at the church right now? He'll always say, are you at the meeting house? Because the church means something very specific to him. And to him, he doesn't even mean when he says church, and I agree with this, by the way, uh, largely. I don't, I don't get dogmatic about it. But while one definition of the church can be all believers everywhere at all time, the church universal, the church eternal, the eternal body of Christ, those things can mean the same thing. But the word church really means uh, it can also mean, of course, called out ones, but really built into the definition of the word, the ecclesia, uh, is the gathering, the assembly. And in that sense, uh, this is a church. You know, Paul talked, he wrote letters to the church in Ephesus, but also the churches in Asia. Uh, he recognized that there were different manifestations of the body of Christ, different local assemblies representing the body of Christ, and called them churches individually. So this is, for our intents and purposes, for those of us who are part of Living Word Fellowship, this is the church. 
when we want to talk about all believers at all times, we can talk about the family of God. But the phrase, the body of Christ, I think, is what bridges the gap, gap between the family of God at all times and all places and the local church. We are a local representation of Christ's body. So let's look, keeping that in mind, let's look at a very familiar passage, and this is a longish one, but we're going to read it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would, the hear, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if, if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that all members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Now let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Then we'll say some things. I'll say some things. You'll hear them. Ephesians 4, 11. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints of the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth in the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now here are a couple passages which, in my estimation, are stated so clearly that they don't need a lot of explanation, at least for our purposes here today. But let me emphasize a couple of things anyway before I bring us to the one point that I really want to make this morning. No matter how gifted you are, no matter how crucial your role is in this church or any church, you are useless without the rest of the body. 
We've talked a little about this when it comes to people who decide they don't need a church. I have a relationship with God. I have a prayer life. I listen to messages. Uh, I get fed. But if you are not connected to the rest of the body, what possible good could you be doing for the rest of the body? It's not about what's good for you. It's about what are you supplying to the body, the church. All right? That's, what we've, that's where we've applied it in the past. Uh, you can say, but I'm a believer. That makes me part of the church. No, it makes you part of the family of God. You're not a part of the church unless you are with the church. Jesus said he would build his church. And that word has corporate, congregation, commitment, tightly tied up in it. Saying you believe in the church as an abstract concept uh, or a simple matter of doctrinal agreement is much easier than being physically close to all these other nasty body parts. So you can, uh, what I'm saying is you can say, well, I'm not against the church. I believe in it. Jesus talked about building the church, building his body. But it's easy to call yourself a part of the body of Christ. Easier to call yourself a part of the body of Christ when you're not sitting next to some smelly foot. Know what I'm saying? It is impossible to gather all the body parts together without one part of the body eventually somehow making another part of the body uncomfortable. And we need to be okay with that. All right. We may circle back to that at some point in the future. I want to go a different direction right now. If we're going to be a healthy body, we absolutely have to care for the other parts of the body. Now, one illustration of this might be uh, like bodybuilding, which is something I never got into. Back even when I was in shape, I was doing more running and stuff like that. I would train with weights. I'd go down to body tech just to try to keep healthy, but I was never into you know, getting ripped or anything like that. I could have, but I never did. But there was a guy I knew at Canaanland, one of the students there, who had done some serious bodybuilding, competitive bodybuilding for a while, while he was in the Navy, as a matter of fact. And uh, he loved to talk about it. He was really into the science of it. And a lot of it had to do with uh, stuff you hear all the time, the, the kind of things you eat, when you eat, sleep, uh, and uh, you know, general health stuff. But the thing that w- always fascinated me when he talked about it, especially when he started talking about the competition, was how uh, the scientific approach to training every muscle group and about how the judges, when they were judging these competitions, weren't just looking for great big arms or great broad back or something like that. They were looking for symmetry. Symmetry. That one part of the body was as trained, that, that everything, that your arms weren't so much bigger than your legs that you looked ridiculous. Or imagine what it would look like if you only did curls with one arm. You only did bench press with the other arm. You only did one-legged squats. You know how ridiculous you would look. I know bodybuilders uh, tease each other all the time about skipping leg day. And you see these pictures of these guys with these massive shoulders and chests and chicken legs. And it looks silly. So it's all about training uh, all the body parts and giving the right attention. uh, I'll I'll give another example of that in a second because it kind of plays in in a different way. But the application for us is that we have a vested interest in the spiritual growth of each other. 
I can only work on the part that I am, but I have an, a vested interest in you being just as healthy, just as strong, so that we are more effective and look better as a body. Let's read the last two verses from that last passage again. So Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself in love. The more each and every one of us develops, grows, matures in Christ, the better this church as a whole will be. Now, the way it is in every local church, at least every church that I've been associated with and I'm personally uh, aware of, is that many body parts, many members of that church, are underdeveloped, which means that other body parts have to bear more of the load. Right? Now, it's different if, there, if somebody is injured. Somebody uh, who doesn't have the use of their legs often will develop very strong upper body because their shoulders and their back and their arms have to bear more of the load that their legs normally would. But it's different if, it's, uh, if there's no injury involved, no disease involved, if you're just being lazy. If other people are bearing your part of the load just because you can't be bothered. There was another guy, another bodybuilder I used to work with at Sam's. He, he was actually, years ago, runner-up to the Mr. Illinois title. So he kind of knew what he was talking about, too. And he said that in his experience, I don't know if he had a scientific background for this, but he says everybody he talked to and in his experience training and training other people is that everybody had one muscle group that it was very, very easy for them to train. He says some guys, they could, just, they could pack on muscle in their pecs in no time. And he says and the mistake they make is since that's so easy, that's what they spend all their time doing. So they get this huge overdeveloped chest. While it might be very difficult for them to put on any mass in their calves, he says they can do it, but they don't want to put in the work because it takes 10 times more work to put that muscle in a particular body part than it does in another. In other words, certain parts of the body need more attention, need uh, more uh, focus and more care. Uh, there are weaker members in our body, and our goal should be to develop them even if it takes a little extra work. Why? it's good for them absolutely but also because it's good for us it makes this body better i think a more important way to approach it in terms of taking care of the whole body including weaker members in the scriptural context is how we care for those injured body parts uh, you know if i have a severely injured toe my whole body limps until that toe is better maybe i should be talking about my thumb a couple of you know this, I've been, I've been dealing with something called trigger thumb for the last week and a half or so. It's kind of, it started off as just kind of a popping in this knuckle. And uh, like right now, you know, I'm, I'm up moving around, I've been using the hand, and it's it just a little bit of pain at the base of the thumb. I mean, many of you have you've had this, trigger finger or trigger thumb. Uh, but sometimes in the morning I wake up and it's, it's locked into position, and when it finally lets go, it's very, very painful. So I wear a brace, usually at least when I'm sleeping, to keep that thing immobilized. Uh, and, uh, but you know, it's an affliction. It's a minor affliction. 
but there are things I'm doing to protect it, but there are also simple rehab exercises that I do several times a day to keep that thing flexible, keep it from locking. So these are things that are aimed not just at protecting it and making it feel better, but things, also things that make it, that are aimed at getting it better and stronger and back to full function. Now, this is supposed to be representative of spiritual shortcomings. But we really should have just as much care for actual physical, emotional, psychological, and financial afflictions that we might not be experiencing, but are being experienced by members of our body. If one part of the body is hurting, we should notice. It should bother us. And I was thinking and praying about this year's fast. Another person that kept coming to my mind was Jenny. Good. I kept thinking about how she's one of the ones I remind you to pray for at the end of these weekly emails. And about how I often pray for her and then go about my day. And you know, I do that with my thumb too. I pray over my thumb, I speak to my thumb, and I go about my business. But you know what? My thumb is never off my mind for very long. Because if I just happen to bump it the wrong way, or if it sits still for too long and I go to bend it, it reminds me. I'm leading up to something big here. But before I get there, I want Jenny to come up here and share something that she shared with me by phone the other day. Every now and then, Jenny will send me a text. And it'll trigger something in me. And sometimes it'll be a day or two before I get back to her because I'm, I'm thinking about it for a while. And sometimes we end up talking about that thing. Oh, I will have a phone call every, what, month, month and a half sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's shorter, sometimes it's longer. And I'll call her about this thing, and we will end up talking about something entirely different. Sometimes we'll talk for 10 minutes, sometimes we'll talk for 45 minutes. But uh, she shared something with me. She shared something, a text with me the other day, that triggered a memory from 40 years ago. And uh, when I finally got her called back about it, we talked about that for maybe five minutes, and then she started sharing some other stuff with me. And I was weeping at the end of this phone call because of what I had already planned to share about the fast. So I'm going to let her share this and take your time, take your liberty. Uh, I think you'll appreciate this. Are you able to hold that okay? Public speaking is not my forte, so just bear with me. Um, and to start, I need to back up a little bit. For the past four to five months, I've been dealing with some pretty excruciating pain in my back and my abdomen every day. Um, come Christmas Eve, we decided to go to the Gordons to celebrate with them like we do every year. Um, I was in a lot of pain that day, but I was trying to hide it because... One, I didn't feel like being a burden on the evening, um, and then I didn't want to just ruin the evening for everybody else, but Matt could tell, obviously, that there was something wrong. Kept telling him I was fine, I was fine. So we were in the living room, and then he finally told his mom to put her hands on my shoulders and just start to pray, and she did, and that just kind of broke the dam for me, and I started crying. Um, she asked me how I felt about praying in tongues around people, and I felt fine doing that. So we started praying in tongues. Um, and from that moment on, we had stuff planned to do the rest of the night. We had, uh, we were going to play a game. We were going to 
watch a movie, read the Christmas story, but they dropped all of that for the next two hours. At least, I would say, they spent time praying for me, laying hands on me, praying over me. Um, we have a video of Hagen reading all of the healing verses within the Bible. Um, so we started going through those. I started speaking to my body. They were speaking to my body. We did a lot of worship. And I remember telling Matt that while we were doing worship, I could just literally feel the pain melting off of my body. Um, and it just is something that meant a lot to me that they would give up the rest of what was supposed to be a fun evening to do something so important that would help me. Um, and also to tie into that, I have a group message with four girls here in the church. Um, most of the time it's just fun stuff, but when something happens with any one of us, we just automatically go into action, into prayer, into what can we do for you? Um, because we don't ever want any of us to be fighting alone. Um, we, we consider ourselves a little family. Our group picture is an elephant, and we say, as a family, we go. So we always say, you know, we win our battles together, we lose our battles together. We never want anyone to feel like they have to fight alone. Um, so we just, I mean, we start fighting, and we don't stop until we see answers. And I feel like that is something the body of Christ should be doing as a whole. Um, and I think it is something that would be incredibly beneficial for those in those kind of situations to know that you don't have to fight alone, that this is what your church family is here for. They're here to fight with you until you see your answer come to pass. Amen. Amen. Thank, Thank you. you. You're Give her a hand. That was, uh, public speaking is not your forte. That was superb and superbly shared. There was a sermon. She just preached a little sermon there. But the core of that and the thing that moved me when we were speaking on the phone was how they had this nice, pleasant evening planned out to celebrate Christmas. And everybody was willing to put that aside, lay it down in order to spend serious time and attention on a member of the body that needed it at that moment. It was sacrificial. You know, when there is a weakness, in this case a physical sickness, but if it's a spiritual deficiency, if there's something else that's holding up our growth as a body because a member isn't coming along, we aren't going to fix that by abusing and criticizing the weaker member. What do we do? We prop them up. We hold them up. We do what we can. We encourage. Improve. doesn't mean there's not a time for discipline. There absolutely is. But our goal always has to be rehabilitation strengthening, healing, wholeness. So here's where I'm going with this. James chapter 5. This is not the theme verse. 
but this gets us one step closer to it. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And, the prayer, uh, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, I read most of that for context, but what I want you to focus on is the last half of verse 16. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I've done a whole sermon on this, but very quickly... Righteous. A righteous man offering prayer. If your prayer is going to avail much, it has, must be offered by a righteous person. And where is our righteousness found? In Jesus Christ. All right, this is not a matter of, oh, and the devil will try to attack you. Ah, you thought a dirty thought today. You, uh, you were mean to your wife. You were mean to your husband. You were, you were unloving to your neighbor. You're not righteous. Don't bother praying. Your righteousness is the, Christ, is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are righteous because you are in him. It's the only reason any of us are righteous. Even if you weren't mean to anybody today, the only reason you are righteous is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, okay? So we can check that one off. Effective or effectual. What is an effective prayer? A biblical prayer that is based on the promises of God and offered in faith. A prayer of faith. A passionate prayer might be a begging prayer, a pleading prayer, but if it's not based on a promise, if it's not rooted in the assurance that God has already uh, made this available to you, it's not an effective prayer. Effective prayers are biblical prayers. I remember we used to sing a song, and it was a sweet song, and I liked most of it, uh, but I always shivered when we sang the first line, which was, you don't have to know how to pray. All you need to know how to say is Jesus. And then we went on singing the name Jesus, something in the name of Jesus. I don't remember all that. But, but I'd never liked that first line. You don't have to know how to pray. You just need to know how to say Jesus. Well, when Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, he didn't say, you don't need to know how to pray. You know my name. He taught him how to pray. There's a right way to pray, right? So an effective prayer is a biblical prayer offered in faith based on the promises of God. A righteous person is a person who is in Christ and is trusting in the finished work of Christ for his righteousness. So we can check those two things off. Fervent prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I think this might be where we miss it a lot of the times. Are we praying fervently? Uh, In Acts chapter 12, we read about where, and you can turn there if you want, where Herod ramped up his persecution of the church. And he took James and had him uh, executed and saw how much that pleased the Jewish authorities. So he went ahead and had Peter arrested too, intending to execute uh, execute him as well. And we can pick up the story in Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. It says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, 
Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. So the angel then tells him to hurry, get your shoes on, and follow me out. And once he gets out, the angel disappears, and there's Peter standing out there kind of going, blah, 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 blah. What, what just happened? Did I just have a dream? He realizes, oh, this was the angel of God. I'm free. Uh, so he heads over to Mark's mom's house where, uh, well, we, we can pick it up again in, in uh, Acts 12 again. Verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of uh, John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Many were gathered together praying. When was this? It was the middle of the night. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not even open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Of course, they finally are convinced. They let him in, bearing witness to his deliverance. Now, what I want you to see well, ask yourself this. Where was their faith? They were praying in the middle of the night for Peter, and when the answer to their prayer is standing at the door, they're like, you're crazy. No, 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 I'm not crazy. I really did say, no, okay, maybe you saw something. But it wasn't Peter. He's in prison. Must be his angel. Where, was this faith? I mean, they were praying, but it doesn't sound like they were expecting their prayers to be answered. But what were they operating in? Supernatural love. And they were praying fervently. They cared enough to stay up at night. It said constant prayer was being offered by the church. Now, how organized was it? I don't know. But I've, I've, been, uh, I've been on uh, trips to Mexico with YWAM where constant prayer for the trip is being offered the whole time we're on the bus. And what they would do is hand out a list. Here's what we're praying for. You take 15 minutes. When you're done, hand it to this person. And the list went around and around the bus so that somebody was always praying for the trip. Maybe it was something like that. Uh, Mark's mom, the people in your house, you're going to pray from this hour to this hour. I don't know. But somebody was always praying for Peter. And during this time, uh, they loved him enough to be up. They didn't skip their shift. They were praying, and their prayer was answered. So here is the theme verse for our, our fast. In Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, verse 3 is the actual verse, but beginning in verse 1, it says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Verse 3, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. There's some great, it's, it's really worth looking at in uh, other translations. I really like the contemporary English version, which says this, remember the Lord's people who are in jail and be concerned for them. Don't forget those who are suffering, but imagine you are suffering with them. Friends, brothers and sisters, set something aside for the next three weeks. Something legitimate. This is a yearly reminder. A fast is not about quitting a bad habit 
or laying, laying down a besetting sin. You absolutely should do those things. But that's not what a fast is. A fast is setting aside a legitimate pleasure, something natural in pursuit of something supernatural. Reminding yourself that there are more important things than the pleasure you derive from something that might take a certain amount of time. In the past, personally, I have eliminated categories of food. I, for the next three weeks, I will eat no sugar, no meat, no bread. Uh, a Daniel-type fast, maybe only fruits and vegetables, things like that this year. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. The idea there being is when I eat, this isn't about my pleasure. This is about just nutrition, and it reminds me that uh, I'm in the middle of something here where I'm pursuing things other than the pleasure I derive from food, which is considerable. Uh, it might be something like uh, video games or TV or, or uh, social media, something that's, that's taking a lot of your time and maybe bringing you a lot of pleasure but not advancing the kingdom of God or your own personal spiritual development. This year, uh, instead of eliminating a category of food, I'm eliminating uh, certain meals uh, where I can set that time. Uh, I love not just to eat, but I love to cook. Uh, I love to spend time in the kitchen experimenting and, and cooking things and creating things. And so uh, at least once a day, uh, mealtime is quite an undertaking. Uh, and I've decided that uh, I don't need to do that three times a day. Uh, I can sp- I'm going to set those times aside for prayer, for fervent prayer. Uh, but I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just giving you examples of, 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 of some possibilities. But again, it's to remind myself there, there are more important things than food prep and eating. And I believe that as we pursue this wholeheartedly, that we will see a difference in 21 days that is significant enough to propel us into this new year with some long-term changes. I think you will see, at the, if, you, if you will do this with us, and as a church, we will all benefit more if we all do this. But I think what we'll see at the end of 21 days is enough. It's just like, and you see these things, especially at the beginning of the year, but you see them all the time. 21 days, 30 days, what? 21 days to a new body. A new physique in 21 days. And that's what I want to see. A new body in 21 days. Now, if you... If you know anything about dieting and exercise, you know you are not going to completely, and uh, depending on, I guess, where you stand, if you've only got a couple pounds to lose or you just want a little bit of tone, you maybe can come closer to reaching your ultimate goal in three weeks. But if, like me, if it were just a physical pursuit, I know that the road is longer than 21 days to where I want to be physically. Again, we're back to an example now. But if I see enough results early on, what does that do? It motivates me to stick with it. I'm not saying you need to fast for a year. I'm saying that if you, during this fast, do uh, focus on the main point of it, is, it, 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 point of it, which is fervent prayer, sacrificial prayer, selfless prayer, we will see in our own lives and in, the, in this local body, we will see enough change that it will motivate us to stick with certain decisions and continue that kind of fervent prayer. Does that make sense? There are three things, and praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. There are three things that are available to you that I cannot encourage you strongly enough to participate in besides your church attendance and your personal devotional time, study time, prayer time. There are three things that are available. 
as members of Living Word Family Church. One of them is Monday night prayer. Now, uh, we've got some faithful people who are there every week. Same with men's prayer on Saturday morning. Some are there every week. Some visit occasionally. If you never go, uh, just why? If you can't be there, I get it. Some like, Pastor Scott, I can't go because I work every Monday night. I work every Saturday morning. I get it. But if you're just not going, again, why? This is a valuable time of corporate prayer. There's power in gathering for prayer. There is power in agreement. This is scriptural. It is valuable to be there and be a part of that. Uh, the, the third thing is small groups. Uh, the, the focus of these small groups, and some of them are more uh, heavy on study or reading a book or a teaching series, but at the core of all of these, uh, if they're being done correctly, and I've got Jake to monitor that, that's his baby, is fellowship, a time of intimate sharing, and prayer for one another. Now, these are all things where we can... Uh, maybe be a little bit more vulnerable in, in, in a smaller setting and share these things, but, but in attending prayer, small group, one of the prayer meetings or small, and small group, in addition to, to uh, church attendance, in addition to your personal time of prayer, uh, it, it's one more important tool that we can avail ourselves of, of to strengthen ourselves, our families, and always remember the stronger you are, the better the body is. It's not just, it can never be. If your mind is anything like the mind of Christ, it can't be. I'm okay. So what do I need anything more for? It's what can I do better to make you better? What can I do better to make this body better? All right, what do I care about my thumb? Says my left hand. What do I care about that right thumb? Uh, you're going to be doing more work if this thumb doesn't get stronger. Right? So no matter how strong and how good you are, what can you do for the rest of the body? If you're a weaker member, are you okay being a weaker member? Or do you want to be stronger so that you can contribute? We've got to build a strong frame of members of Living Word before we, before we can afford to grow numerically. Which is, I think, also going to be a side effect of spiritual growth of the body that's already committed. And I'm speaking to you at home, too. Can't wait till you're back here. So let me uh, wrap this up by saying this. Uh, and I believe, again, a quick glance around the room, that I'm speaking to a room full of believers. But just in case. Before we can start talking about growth and development and strengthening and being a valuable, contributing member of the body of Christ, you've got to be a member of the body of Christ. And that happens uh, going back to the righteousness thing that we were just talking about. You can't make yourself righteous. You can't put yourself in the body of Christ. Everything that's necessary for that, the only thing that makes it possible is the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. The thing that keeps that, keeps us in this dead state, this state apart from God, outside the body of Christ, is sin. And none of us are without that. We're born with it. And we begin to manifest it. And we become, as we grow, without Christ, less and less like God, further and further from him, until we recognize that Jesus came specifically to take that sin, the sin nature, the sin identity, not just the outward acts of sin, but sin itself in his own body and carried that to the cross, paid the price. He died. He bled. He died. 
so that he could pay the debt that we owed because of sin. And he rose to new life and says, this new life is what I offer you. The, 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 the person you were born and you have grown into be, no matter how nice your family thinks you are, no matter how nice you think you are, it's, you are not fit for the presence of God. But if you will lay your life down and take up the new life that I offer you, if you will recognize me as Lord of your life, I will give you a new life, a clean life, a righteous life, because you will be in me. If you've not made that decision, if you want to be declared righteous today, it's not what you have to do, it's what you have to receive. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm going to pray a quick prayer, and I'm just going to ask if anybody wants to make that decision today. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the work he completed at the cross. Thank you for his death in our place, and I thank you for his resurrection as the first fruits of those born from among the dead. And I thank you for making that offer available to us. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody in this room who has not received that gift, who has not confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, that you would pierce their heart and convict them of their need today. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody need or desire to become a Christian today? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.